This is Angelina Pratt, host of Empathetic Witness. Today, my guest is Chief R. Donald Merkel from the Tyndanaga First Nations. Hello. Good afternoon, Chief. Hi, Angeline. How are you? I am well. How are you? Not too bad. So we had some technical issues there with our computer there for a minute there. So you were there, then you were gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, thank you for accepting my invitation to do this interview. I was really excited to interview you, Chief, because, you know, a couple, was that a couple of weeks ago that um, Minister Miller and you signed the the um, the ceremonial the, the ceremonial signing of the a partial um, settlement for the Culverson Tract? Yes, yeah. The partial settlement agreement. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. Um, I think that is so exciting because, well, as you know, these things take they drag on and they take forever. So any little bit of success we get, you know, and it doesn't satisfy everyone I know, because there are always, you know, things that we see that needs to be um, included and part of, you know, the claims, because the claims are hundreds of years old. And um, so I, and I think, you know, with the minister coming out and signing, and I was looking at some of the media uh, profiles done. And one thing I was really interested to talk to you about, because I've heard the stories over the years, is the Queen Anne Silver and your relationship with the Crown, you know, with respect to gifts from, and I know you've received gifts from Queen Elizabeth, and you have a, a special I think relationship with the queen and I would like to hear the story of how these gifts came about. Well, I guess, uh, first of all, when the Europeans came uh, shortly after the um, Columbus discovered uh, North America in 1492, then not long after that, the English came and the, the English settlements uh, started to be founded along the Atlantic seaboard, but then the French came down the, the St. Lawrence River in 1534. And in the early 1600s, the Dutch people started to come to our traditional territory. So we made it, um, a treaty with the Dutch, uh, a peace and friendship treaty called the Two Row Wampum Treaty. But they'd live together as side by side, and, and each would, they'd be in their ship, we'd be in our canoe, they would paddle down their river of life together peacefully and, and um, see each other, but they wouldn't try to steer each other's ship. Mm. And so, uh, which meant that they'd look after the affairs of their people and we'd look after the affairs of our people. But they'd live together and be supportive of each other and helpful to each other to, you know, ensure the well-being of, of, of everybody. And so that was the very, and then we'd have peace and friendship and trade. So then we started to trade furs for, uh, you know, for iron uh, axes and shovels and pots and pans and glass and beads and cloth and uh, for for fish and for, well, first of all, fur, fur which was in big demand at the, in the beginning, uh, that for the fur trade was actually the, the backbone of the earliest American economy and that in tobacco. Tobacco was actually the first export from the colonies, the English colonies, to Great Britain. Uh, so anyhow, so that relationship of trade and peace and friendship created, and eventually the English uh, conquered the Dutch and the Dutch-English wars. And I think it was 1664, somewhere around there. Don't quote me on it. Google that to find out what date that was. Okay. But around that time, around that time, they, uh, the English were the, conquered the Dutch. And so we... we um, made the same kind of uh, relationship with the uh, the English people that we had with the Dutch. We had been trading with the English before as well. But so then the, the, the relationship was more formalized in the 1677 covenant chain of uh, friendship with the English. And by, so we would have uh, peace and friendship and trade 
with the English as well. If there were, were wars, we would be their military ally. And it was important to the English people to have a relationship with our ancestors because we controlled the canoe routes that went. To, if the English, if the French people decided to attack the English colonies, they would have to come through the canoe routes, uh, the waterways through our traditional territory in our New York State. And so, and we had a confederacy of nations, and so that made made us a very powerful ally. And so, the, uh, the English coveted to keep that wanted to keep that relationship strong. And if there was any problems when the relationship with things had happened uh, that weren't right, then they would ha- they would meet and they would polish the chain to remove the tarnish or the the source of the uh, the um, contention between the crown and our our, our people. So uh, uh, there were uh, things that did aggravate that relationship, and um, there were land frauds, there was alcohol uh, and, and dishonesty with uh, many, many land frauds, particularly the cutting down of timber, um, the exploitation uh, of the resources. And uh, so anyhow, the, the Mohawk people began to doubt whether or not it was a good idea to have... Um, to continue this relationship with the English crown. And so the colonial officials were worried about it. Um, and, and so they arranged what was called the visit of the four Indian kings mm. to Queen Anne at St. James's Palace in April of 1710. And so they were taken there to basically show them the military might of the British Navy and all the sights and sounds of uh, of London, England, and then they had a personal audience with Queen Anne. And the, before that, though, the French had been using uh, Jesuit priests and Salpation priests to um, um, basically promote the gospel in among the indigenous nation, but also to promote the respective politics of their king, the king of France. And to cultivate the loyalty toward that king. And so the British wanted to emulate the same policy. And so in 1700 or 1701, they formed the Royal uh, Society, the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in foreign parts. Mm-hmm. And so, so they the, they were trying to emulate the same thing the French were doing uh, to send clergy to promote Christianity, but also to promote the politics and policy of their respective king. So their their clergy's role was very much political as well as it was religious in the, the beginning of the relationship. So they wanted to send um, a, a, re, a minister by the name, an Anglican priest by the name of Thurgood Moore, uh, in 1702, and the um, the Mohawk people uh, refused to welcome him to the village. So the the policy was they would wait at the edge of the woods. Woods, if they were then told they were welcome to come to the village, then they'd come. They didn't just come and show up there. They had to know that they were going to be welcome. Right. And so so they refused to accept him because there had been land frauds and this was a contention alienating. So all this, this state of affairs worried the English colonial leaders of the French who were decided to attack and they didn't have an ally in the Mohawk. That could be very, very problematic. And... Um, and of course, late 1600s, they started to fortify the Upper Great Lakes. The French started to fortify the Upper Great Lakes with the building of forts. And so that became worrisome to the English uh, settlers. And uh, so then that visit happened and uh, was orchestrated by the colonial leaders to take these. They were ordinary, ordinary men. They were three, I think three were Mohawk. One might have been Mohican, even. I'm not really sure of that, but at least it's believed that. There were actually five that started up, but one died on the way. So four did arrive mm-hmm. in London and, and met with Queen Anne in April 1710. And so there was a speech made to ask for more military aid for the colonies. And then they said at that in 1710 that if uh, a clergy were to come to the our, our, our village uh, at Fort Hunter, near Fort Hunter, that they would receive a most hearty welcome. And so in response to that, Queen Anne then instructed the chapel to be built within the walls of Fort Hunter. And uh, the Mohawk people then started to uh, accept Christianity. The the Fort Hunter Mohawks accepted Christianity. But as well, uh, 
the the Mohawks from Gunnat Johari, which is 30 miles up the Mohawk River from our settlement, would come to church there. And so they started baptizing the children and getting married in the church and attending church. And the first book that the the ever written in the Christian religion was in Mohawk. Uh, wow. <laughs> by the 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 society the Gideon Bible Society, they, they were the first book they had printed was in the Mohawk language, that was for to deal with North American population. And so, um, so then Queen Anne furnished the um, the chapel with um, a double double communion set of which is which is commonly called the Queen Anne communion silver. And uh, when Mark Miller came, that silver was on there. It was given in 1711 to decorate the chapel to show the Queen's affection for the Mohawk people and uh, that, you know, the relationship that was established and the repolishing of the covenant chain to remove the tarnish. So, so, but anyway, the land frauds did continue after that. And of course, the Mohawk people were allies to the Crown in the, uh, this, the French Indian Wars in 1755. To 1759, and John Desirantio actually was the Mohawk military captain who uh, fought in the those wars, and he was at the capitulation at Montreal in 1760. Right. Then our ancestors helped put Pontiac's Rebellion down in 1763, and then there was the American Revolution, and um, the Queen Anne silver was buried in underneath the barn boards at in in Boyd Hunter's farm. Which was next to the Queen Anne Rectory in the uh, near um, near Johnstown, New York, and so the next to the Queen Anne Rectory, uh, there was uh, it was buried for during the life of the Revolution. And in six in seventeen seventy seven uh, in October, uh, John John Mohawk military captain John Desaranto led our people through the woods to uh, to encamp at Lachine uh, near Montreal. Uh, and on the banks of the river, uh, river at Lachine, and uh, they they were there for seven years, and then they came, and re, uh, then the governor said, you know, had promised them before the war began that er things would be um, re the villages would be restored after the war, and of course the when the English signed the, negotiated the 1783 Treaty of Paris, they forgot about their 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 Mohawk allies and indigenous allies. And so because we couldn't return to the Mohawk Valley, to our village sites, um, then we had to seek land in our traditional hunting ground. And so they, they, the governor uh, instructed uh, Mohawk military captains, John Desaranto and Mohawk military captain Joseph Brandt to select other, other settlement areas. So Joseph Brandt selected the Grand River area and John Desaranto selected the, the land on the, near the Bay of Quinty. But the land that John Desiranda selected was actually much larger than the present day reserve. It actually went way down into Napanee and Hay Bay, that area, and it included all of Prince Edward County. But when the, the surveyor went out to start the survey, then all they were given was the land that was, or said all it was designated was just the land between two townships, Tinydega Township and Thurlow Township. 97,000 acres of land. Right. <laughs> So then, and then they went back and dug up the uh, silver that had been buried in the barn of Boyd Hunter, who was sympathetic to the Mohawk people, had was friends of theirs before the revolution. He was sympathetic to them. And um, they dug up the silver. A, a shovel hit the uh, the flagon, which is basically the, the big container that contains the wine for communion. And there still is a dent there from that period of time in our history of 1783. But um, I guess one of the things, so but in order to try to correct this problem with land, land trespassing, in the name of King George III, the Royal Proclamation of October the 7th, 1763, was was uh, put in place. And uh, the, the um, it was to always uh, strengthen, the, the future relationship depended on always strengthening and brightening the chain. And uh, the relationship was to be everlasting. It was for all present and future generations, and it shall stand as long as the sun shines upon the earth, as long as the water flows, and as long as the grass grows green. 
our relationship shall be binding as long as the mother earth is in motion. So that's what they, how they saw the, the, the covenant chain. Yes. And so then um, every time there seemed to be a war, the, 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 the monarch would, uh, the English king or queen would decorate the chapel with something. So after the war of 1812, of course, our people were called to arms to help the crown in that conflict. Our, most of our ancestors went to Queenston Heights, and I think one or two went to to the battle at um, at um, for Upper Canada villages now. And um, Morrisburg, and so then the um, the relationship. Uh, so Queen Victoria sent a Bible in 1840 to decorate the chapel. After the American Revolution, King George III decorated the chapel in 1798 with um, with um, a bell that's in the tower. It's still inscribed a gift from King George III to the Mohawk people of the settlement. And it was given in be, to recognize, to show appreciation for the military service that our people had rendered the crown as faithful allies in times of war. And so that, that, and there was a triptych above the altar in the old Mohawk language that contained the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. So that, that, that graces the chapel, and that's a gift from King George III in 1798. Um, then Queen Victoria gave a Bible in, in 1840. It's still there. And that Bible has been signed by many times by the, by Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip and other royalty uh, each time they came to canada to visit if the mohawk people saw them the custom of the community was to take that queen victoria bible and have the monarch the, the english king or queen, king or queen sign it so the, the it's been signed by queen elizabeth many times over the years she had many visits with the mohawk people um some of the most uh some of them were um, um in 1951 when she was princess elizabeth Right. The train that she was riding stopped in Belleville, and my uncle tech, uncle Nelson Green, and Susan Claus, who was a school teacher, went to the train station in traditional regalia and met the Queen. Of course, they took the Bible and the Queen Anne silver for the Queen to see. Then, in 1967, Chief Earl Hill and his wife Lorraine, who was a school teacher, met her when in Kingston when she at uh, the Kingston City Hall when she was celebrating visiting Canada during the bicentennial of Canada. Yeah. Then in 1977, uh, Chief William Brandt and his wife Marilyn met the Queen when when um, the portraits that Queen Anne had ordered be painted of the by Jan Goralst, a minor painter of the court, when at the time of the 1710 visit of the four Indian kings. And the English people called them called them the four Indian kings because they understood the concept of kingship. But they were just really ordinary men. They weren't condole chiefs or of the longhouse or they were just ordinary men, ordinary people that were willing to make that trip. So anyway, they're they're they are they're painting this the painting this because the the Prince of Denmark had just died around that time of that visit, it was customary for the English court to have, be cloaked. Yeah. And so so they were cloaked. Um, to, to meet the Queen and uh, at St. James's Palace in April 10. And so those paintings for many years of those four Indian kings hung at Kensington Palace. And so then in 1977, they were acquired and brought to Canada and became part of the national uh, collection there. And they're some of the most valuable paintings in, that, in, in the archives there in Ottawa on Wellington Street. Mm-hmm. And so Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip came over in October of 1977 to unveil them there. And that's when uh, Bill, Chief William J. Brandt and Marilyn, his wife, were on hand to uh, witness the unveiling of the paintings. And then in 1982, when the Queen was celebrating her uh, her 50 years on the throne, her jub- golden jubilee, she we visited her in Toronto and she saw the Queen Anne Silver. But, in, but also in 1984, when she visited, when Ontario was celebrating the bicentennial, we the 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 Britannia came and came to Lake Ontario, just off, just near uh, Kingston and, and near um, um, Amherst, Amherst View, uh, the park there, 
and they uh, the loyalist park there they, and there was a gathering there the queen came and the mohawk people saw her as well as the Quinney mohawk school children danced for her mohawk singers sang for her um they gave her gifts of uh, a mohawk uh bible a mohawk prayer book a, a bilingual mohawk prayer 1840 mohawk 42 mohawk prayer book but it was bilingual and there was a painting presented to her and some moccasins which were both the prince and uh, prince prince philip and the queen so uh, that was 1984 and then in, in uh, 2002 she was celebrating her golden jubilee we went to toronto and she viewed the 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 silver but in, in 1984 she also gave a chalice that incorporated the clans the the turtle baron wolf yeah. and the the, the the tree of peace with the roots, the great white roots of peace spreading all four directions over the turtle's back, signifying that the peace is meant for all the world. And anybody who want, wanted to take their shelter under the tree of peace, every nation was welcome to do so, as long as they were willing, willing to take uh, keep peace with the other nations. And above the tree of peace, reaching up toward the heaven, was the guardian, the guardian eagle. And so the eagle has always been a very important symbol to the Mohawk people, it represents a guardian spirit or God, as you call it, that watches over creation and wants the world to live in peace. So then the next visit, when the, that was 2002. And then in 2010, um, uh, the Queen asked, there was a, the Queen presented um, during her visit to Toronto at St. James's Cathedral. Chief uh, William Montour and I were invited to accept handbells from the Queen uh, to honor the 300th anniversary of the visit of the Florentine Kings. And so she presented and decorated the chapel both at St. Paul's Six Nations and Christchurch, Tandanega, uh, with handbells. And in 2004, she... Uh, she uh, designated uh, Chief Roberta Jameson and I petitioned the Queen to have the title uh, conferred on the two chapels, Christchurch and St. Paul's at Six Nations, the title Her Majesty's Chapel Royal the Mohawk. And so in February 2004, the first time in 500 years that that authority the Queen has uh, was exercised to designate those two places as, as Her Majesty's Chapel Royal of the Mohawk. So that title was conferred on those two places by the Queen. And then in 2019, 2000 in 2019, just before the pandemic, I had a call from the military that they, they wanted to visit the reserve and the chapel. And they said there was some kind of gift that was going to be presented, but they didn't know what it was or who it was from. They wouldn't say. And um, so we said, well, if it's a gift that's being presented, we'll have a a service there and we'll end up. it was to honor the veterans we knew that so i said well i'll invite the veterans families to come that are still living and um and so they came and um and the queen's chaplain um uh canon paul wright came from from the, the from london england on behalf of the royal family and presented us with her father King George the Sixth Book of Common Prayer. And it's, and it's got, um, you know, the uh, G uh, R V one the sixth. So it's it's there's only one like it in the whole world. And so that was the Father's personal prayer book that she wanted to decorate the chapel with to honor the Second World War veterans and their service because their their names are around military plaques in the church as well. So the Christchurch is designated a National Historic Site because it's a place that honors the relationship with the Crown and also the military services over, spanning over three centuries of our people in that relationship with the Crown. It honors their service and their sacrifice. Wow. What a rich history. And so, so in she, the Queen Elizabeth, so that, that, so King George, the, Fifth, the Queen's grandfather decorated the church with a coat of arms that's above the door. Mm -hmm. um, the Queen's um, uh, 
And of course, in the Queen's Father's Book of Common Prayers, there is part of that collection. The Queen Elizabeth Chalice, handbells, and but also in, in two, 1984, when when the, the bicentennial of Ontario was being celebrated, the coming of the Loyalists and the Mohawk Allies, um, she placed in one of the windows a, a, a panel which includes the Canadian coat of arms. Mm. So there's many royal gifts there from different kings and queens. So the process of designating the church uh, of uh, as a chapel royal started in actually 1904 with um, with uh, um, King um, the one they called Bertie was that King 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 Ed, King, Ed, King Edward? Yeah. So just check that out. The whoever that was, I think, it was King King Edward. So that's pretty much the history of the royal gifts. It's such a rich, rich history. And I don't know of any other First Nation in Canada that has that type of relationship that the Mohawks had. I can't well, think it, of any. And then when, when we were, when I was chairing the, the committee on to fundraise to restore the chapel back in 1998 and onward for over the number of years, our committee, we wrote to Queen Elizabeth and to uh, Prince Charles then to ask for a donation uh, for the restoration project. The Queen sent a donation and so did Prince Charles. Mm. And so Canada, through the Parks Commission, also uh, designated a National Historic Site and, and uh, we, we, we got, we got $500,000 from Parks Canada. That's absolutely amazing. And then we fundraised the rest to $1.4 million. Right, right. And, of course, there were distinguished Canadians uh, everywhere that donated. Alan Pratt donated some money toward that as well. Yeah. And, and uh, so anyway, but it was national history, and it was commemorating the, the sacrifice and service of our people in so many different wars and conflicts. Over 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 three centuries. That's really really rich, really rich stuff. And so without without native warriors, not just the Mohawk, but also the Ojibwe and the the um, the Delaware with Tecumseh, there never would have been like the Canada because without the, the British Army needed help uh, to keep the Americans out. And so when they were at Queenston Heights, the, the war cry, they all, the, the, the American soldiers just ran into the river to try to get away. <laughs> and they drowned. They, they, were, they were frightened by the war cry. Wow. Good reason. <laughs> and and, and, and well, I can say, and rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a rich, and it's really too bad with, the richness of the relationship that there was still fraud. Yeah, the fraud continued. Like even after, after the, even though even after the royal proclamation, the English uh, settlers didn't about, about abide by the rules of their 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 king. You know, they still trespassed. You know, there were there, the Treaty of Fort Stanwix put the Allegheny Mountains as the boundary line between them and the Indian country. So the the Indians never ever had a vision that they would be landless, landless and just punked on little tiny postage stamp plots of land called reserves. They had vast territories that were their hunting grounds, and it was to be protected by the king against trespass. And of course, the crown failed miserably in in, in their responsibility to control their citizens and to stop fraud and land frauds. And sometimes even the crown officials participated in the land frauds. Really, really horrible. You know, on one hand, there was such a it was an amazing. No, it was no. It was no way to treat a loyal friend. Yeah, it's quite a betrayal. It was a betrayal, is what it was. Yeah. But no matter what, no, no matter whatever, um, whenever war took place, even with Afghanistan, our people always answered the call to arms. And we had people from our community in this generation serve in Afghanistan. And one of our members was killed in 2010. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, the irony of the whole thing is that the death of Corporal Lisanne Giesebrecht was announced when the Queen was at um, St. James's Cathedral during that 2010 visit. In July of 2010, she was there and heard the announcement of the death wow. of, one of, our, of one of our members. Really, I'm speechless. I mean, the, I, I just, you know, I'm trying to process this whole history. I, I, of course, I've heard, you know, bits and pieces of it, you know, before. Um, you know, Alan has mentioned, you know, this rich history to me. And it, but hearing it from you, and the, thinking about it. it so anyway, when the Queen instructed the first chapel royal to be built in Fort Hunter, then it was the, she gave those instru- instructions to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who was to see to carry it out. Yes. And so in 17, uh, 12, it was 1712, the, the Queen Anne plate was brought here, was brought to Fort Hunter. Pretty amazing stuff. And so really, really, I guess that's pretty much the relationship that was in the covenant chain. If there were peace and friendship and trade. Yeah. And if there was ever a war, we would be the, the king's or queen's ally. Yeah. And we've always lived up to that, our, our part of the what we said, what our ancestors said. Mm. And so, you know, the Tupong, well, Wampong Belt, does it have all this? It's a a two-row wampum. Oh, two-row, yes. Does it have all this? Where does it stop? It's it's really, it's it's to go on forever. The two two lines signify the ship and the canoe traveling down the river of life. Yeah. Together. that they don't ever cross or, or, or try to take over each other's ship or interfere. But they, they move down together and sink peacefully. Mm. Yeah. So it's like a living thing. It's a living relationship issue. Yeah. How they will act toward each other. So there was no there was no thinking when the, the Europeans come here that they were dominant and that they were superior. As a matter of fact, for the first 150 to 175 years, they were very dependent on the indigenous people for their survival and well-being. Right. They didn't know where they are. They didn't know their way around here. They depended on Indian guides to guide them into the interior of the continent. There were a lot of hostilities there. There were, the terrain was unknown. Hmm. And of course, they were dependent on the fur, the Indians to supply the furs to keep the fur trade going, which was the backbone of the economy. People didn't make money without furs. Yeah. And of course, what that did create, you know, rivalry and warfare between the Indians fighting over traditional territory to hunt the, the beaver so they could participate in the trade. So war broke out because of because of that economy. Yeah, for sure. War and jealousies, and of course, the the both the English and the French knew that whoever would get the most military allies would likely become dominant. So they used Christianity and all kinds of things, and trade and treaty presence and all kinds of things to foster the goodwill of the native people toward their respective crown. Yeah, right, and so moving. But, but our, our people never agreed to be British subjects. We, we were nations that entered into treaty with the English nation. Right. On equal footing. On equal footing. We weren't, yeah. they were not dominant and we were inferior. It was a nation to nation relationship. Yeah, that's strong. And it, that is something that indigenous people have been fighting for all these years so to the, have. So to keep the relationship strong, the English appointed Sir William Johnson in 1750 to be the the Indian agent, I guess, for the Northern District to do all things necessary to to promote the uh, the favor of the Mohawk people toward the crown. That's what his job was. Right. So it wasn't to promote the disgust and contempt; it was promote the goodwill. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, like I was saying, that this is the type of relationship that that 
you know, First Nations across Canada have been striving to get when they're looking at sovereignty. Yeah. And no one has achieved that other than the Mohawks that I can well, see. The- the thing about it is that they have taken a lot of our traditional land away from away from us through all kinds of various. Some of them fraudulent, mm-hmm. some of them very very questionable and suspicious uh, arrangements, and so the, it gives rise to all these land claims and and you know the assertion of rights in traditional territory. Right. And you know when, when you look back, you know, two hundred years ago, even probably one hundred and fifty years ago, Indians didn't have to ask a white man for permission to be on the land to kill a deer to feed their families. Now they're harassed no matter where they go to kill a deer. And the sad thing about it, we just got over Thanksgiving. And the first uh, meal in 1621, the Wampanoag Indians, or 90 of them, brought five deer. And of course, the year before they had taught the pilgrims, there were 53, I guess, that survived the Mayflower, how to, um, how to, um, you know, plant corn and beans and squash to have food. Right. And so they, so they brought the food that the Indians had to, gave them seeds to plant to grow food, and they brought that to the first Thanksgiving in 1621, and the Indians brought five deer, and they all ate together. as an act of peace and friendship that was contemplated in the, uh, in the uh, Two World Wampum Treaty. So that's where Thanksgiving stemmed from this big holiday called Thanksgiving. It stems from that time when the first Thanksgiving feast that the Indians had with those pilgrims from the Mayflower who came from Plymouth, England. Yeah, right. Yeah, got that. Oh, I'm, my mind is just boggling. And like, you know, in modern times, you know, the Mohawk Indians, like Harvey J. McFarland had a construction company, he built roads and primarily roads and actually the building of the 401 Highway and the Highway 49 and other highways. So the Mohawk Halfways were, 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 were Mohawk Indians. What, what do you think of your legacy? You've been a chief, you know, for how many terms? 14? Well, well, no, well, I, I've been on the council will be when I finish this term 42 years. Yeah. And then I was, um, I was in the, when I finish this term, I'll be the chief uh, for three decades. Yeah. 30 years consecutive. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's longevity. Um, so what do you think, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I always want the people to know that I truly cared about their well-being yeah uh i, I got on council uh, there's no glory it's it's really about making a contribution to better the quality of life for people that are that were in need and and um you know i grew up in in po- poverty um you know we didn't have uh, hydro and uh, running water and you know we cut split wood to heat our house and cook on and and, you know, carried water in pails from uh, springs and, and wells, all that sort of thing. You know, put our, our, our food in pails down in a well. To keep, that was our refrigeration. Yep. So, and, and, and you were always glad that you had something to eat. But the people were quite poor then. But, but what I recall is that they were all happy, though. Yes. And they all had respect for each other. They all genuinely cared about the well-being of each other. You know, when there was a death happened everybody went yes and it brought something to the to the to the fee the funeral feast there there was um there was none of this um capitalism that you know i'm going to accumulate everything just for me and as long as i'm rich and i don't care about it because the world's just really all about me there yeah. was never that kind of self-centeredness in the thinking of the people at that time and so as time changed and, you know, then capitalism happened and, and uh, people wanted to be thrive and become well off. And so then people maybe cared a little bit less about everybody else, but more about themselves. And uh, people, you know, when they're building houses, you know, somebody would stop by and lend a hand for two or three hours to help pound some nails. And, you know, the houses went up and 
there was no great formality. If people saw you building a house, you need a hand, and they'd stop by with or go home and get their saws and hammers and come and help. And there was just that that strong um, sense of caring about each other. Mm. Um, you know, they had their once in a while they'd have a little drunken fight at a dance at the council. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't hold grudges and, you know, they weren't, there was no uh, uh, desire to make life miserable or be mean to each other. There was nothing like that at all. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they believed in working, you know, the, the, la the last thing that you wanted to, the Navy, you, they, they had to have was to be lazy. That was the worst thing you could be called is to be lazy, no good for nothing. Mm. So they, 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 the old people instilled into their children and their grandchildren the, the, uh, strong that you have to work to make your way in life. And, and that, you know, the other thing is they taught children how to do a lot of things for themselves at a very young age. And their thinking then was that the more you can do for yourself at a young age, the better off you will be. Because if anything happened to them, then at least you would know what to do to look after yourself. Yeah, that is good. That was the thinking of the old people. Now they would call that child abuse. If you taught a child how to make a fire in a wood stove and how to peel potatoes and put them in water and to boil on the stove to start supper mm. at seven years old, that would be child abuse. But that's how things were. And, and you had to split wood. You had to help pile up the wood. Whatever the family was working on, the kids were working in it too. Yeah. I mean, that's the same. If the gardens were had to be weeded, well, all the the, the oldest one, the youngest one, were there in that garden doing that. Yeah, and they were being shown how to do it. Yeah. So there was a collective responsibility for the well-being of the family, which was traditional. Where that's not there now, mom and dad, dad have to provide everything, where the children often do nothing, and they so they actually don't they 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 don't learn skills by that by being and daddy being providing everything they need to learn how to look after themselves because the day will come when they have to stand on their own two feet so with the traditional thinking the younger they are the better off they will be the younger they learn mm, yeah because you know pe people used to die young then sometimes people would get diabetes they'd have complications and they die so they were preparing their children how to cope cope with life if something happened to them yeah yeah well, one of the advice my mom always gave me was, you know, with our son, Andrew, she says, you know, you have to give him responsibilities. Like he should know how to wash clothes. He should know how to do this. He should know how to do that. Like he has to have these responsibilities. Skills. Yeah. Yeah. To build the well, skill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we used to have to hang out the laundry on all in all kinds of weather. That sometimes the the laundry would even freeze. Yes. On the line. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, my sisters did that as well. You know, you would chop. You would go down to the bay and you'd chop a hole in the ice to draw water up for the wash the clothes and put put that in a wash tub on the stove and then you you know then you'd have to do the same thing to have your 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 bathing there was one big wash tub that the three of us you know had a bath in every every two or couple of times a week yeah yeah oh that just was just how it was and then they had the stoves had a reservoir that had uh warm water to wash your dishes and stuff like that in yeah uh that is well you've you've certainly have a rich history you know as your as chief counselor and I think your your legacy well, will be pretty clear. Did 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 did, uh, did uh, Amsi send you my 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 the things we've accomplished over the years? No, I didn't receive it. Okay, so I'll I'll let her I'll have her send you the, the bio because all the stuff is in there for that. So oh yes, please. Yeah, that sounds really good. So okay, so we just before we wrap up, is there anything? you haven't said and you would like to say um before well, we... just, just 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 that in 1779 during yep. the american revolution sir governor haldeman reiterated sir guy sir guy carlton's promise that the villages would be restored to the state they were before the war captain john desronda chose the birthplace of the bay of quinty and so the crown has a lot of outstanding obligations and accountability to our people for what happened to our land 
And so, you know, we remember our ancestors' forbearance, their loyalty, and their sacrifice, and yes. their resilience to work together to a better future. And so, you know, Sir Winston Churchill once said, a nation that forgets its history has no future. So we haven't forgot our history. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really a rich, unique history. Like, I yeah. am... I've, and, I've, and, and, and I guess the only thing I would say, Angela, all the accomplishments that we made in the community to enrich the quality of life, it all came with, with a tremendous uh, effort and, and a fight to get where we are. It yeah. didn't happen easy. Right. Everything had to be fought for. Wow, that is. Mark, uh, Mark Miller said to me, he said, nobody, Minister Mark Miller said, nobody should have to fight for safe drinking water. So we did. We still do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, re it was really. And affordable housing and, you know, and very basic programs and services that are really are human rights issues. Yeah. And are still fighting for those things. Yeah. In a wealthy country. Yeah. And, and that's the, you know, that's the really, you know, the tragedy is that, you know, there are communities fighting for safe drinking water. You know, they're fighting for, you know, housing, even, affordable housing. Yes. And education. Yeah. Uh, care, Treatment centers. Yeah. No, no. Long term care facilities. Yeah. yeah. Elders um, care. Elders care and home care. Yeah, they're fighting for for uh, equity and child and child family services. Yes, and and to help eradicate this poverty that's plagued our people. Yes, yes. And then you know they, some of them need addiction treatment, and there, there's a lack of uh, facilities for them to receive addiction treatment. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know you know, but I founded a foundation um, to look at addictions, and it's a non profit foundation. And one of our advisors is um, Dr. Gabor, who is, you know, a physician that's renowned in the area of addictions and trauma. And, you know, what we're doing on the foundation is we're developing courses to bring to communities to deal with the trauma they experience. And of course, you know, the trauma, because the cycle of addictions has not been broken, is continuing and it it's continuing every every generation and yeah, well, yeah. But, but you know in the winter time the trauma is the fear of freezing to death when they don't have a place to live yes and a car or in a tent outside with no heat yeah you know I mean, those or, are like you say and, basic and human the trauma, the trauma of not having adequate nutrition and when nobody wants to bother with them because of the state of that they're in Yes. They're yeah. homeless, they're dirty, they're stink, they're yeah. they're poor, they're usually sick, they're they don't have money, they don't know how to manage money, and they may have addiction all rolled up in one. Yes. And mental health issues. Yeah. And so people there the solution a lot of people have is to ignore and or abandon them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really that's there, you know, there, there there are very few good Samaritans. True. True. And it's really, I mean, there, I mean, we, there is so much that can be done and should be done for, you know, people that are, are in the realm of. Well, well, well just, well, just, to, just to show you the ignorance of when that trucker convoy was in Ottawa yep. over the anti-vaccine uh, vaccine and the anti-masking, yep. uh, you know, they went down to that, uh, that uh, Shepherds of Good Hope and barged in there and ate up all the food that those poor, those starving people needed. Yeah, I mean, how ridiculous! Uh, how ignorant and how how insensitive can anybody be that the most vulnerable that we're depending on that somebody else that could afford to go and get their own food didn't, and when they're just to be ignorant mm. and to throw their weight around, yeah, and take the food right from the mouths of uh, people that were hungry. Yeah. I was disgusted with that. It was really horrible. I mean, we have to just do so, so I hope that I hope that Trudeau does good on that on that inquiry that's going on because I mean that was just simply patently wrong. You know, yeah. and, and, and and you know, and, and setting fires where people live and, and you know, that was going on in that chaos and people, you know, defecating in people's porches and their houses just to just to 
have no law or order of any kind. You know, tackling women down because in the snowbank that looked like civil servants just to lecture them, you know, to not even, you know, be free to walk on the street to ignore what was going on. You know, they were just in everybody's face. Mm. Yeah. It's well, one, we... thing, one thing, to but to promote that level of ignorance and, and lawlessness. Yeah. Well, we kept away from there. Uh, we didn't go down, so I have no knowledge. Well, uh, unfortunately, one of my nieces didn't, and I was very disgusted when I seen her on TV that she was there, and she was the one that got trampled by the horses. Oh, no. So the family didn't have any sympathy for her. They just told her you shouldn't have been there. And how did you get But she had friends in Ottawa that drug her over there, and that's what happened. Right. Oh. Well, I'm glad we avoided that chaos. It was chaos. <laughs> That's what yeah. You call it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for the conservative party leaders, like, you know, there was Harper, and there was Polyev, and Candace Bergen, mm. and, and Andrew Scheer all went there to get their photos, uh, their photos taken with the truckers. And I guess Polyev brought them donuts to support them. Oh, goodness. Goodness sakes. Well, I think we, we must get. And part of their, their 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 goal was insurrection and to kill the prime minister, right? Oh my goodness! So 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 really, when you, and they form some other kind of government. I mean, could you imagine what kind of government it would be? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm afraid you're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't succeed, and that part of our history will always be there. I mean, we will know and. And people will be talking about it for years to come. I mean, they they just started the inquiry, so I'm well, sure chaos, more stories chaos, will come out. Yeah, chaos is never a solution to anything. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's unfortunate, you know, the government was caught in, and the health system was caught in a tough time. They didn't know a lot about that COVID virus, and so they had to do what they thought was best. And I think they've done, they did a fairly good job managing as good as they did. We didn't have near the near number of deaths they had in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And I sometimes know. I guess if there's diseases that, like that, that happen, that then people have to make some kind of adjustment and get through it. Yeah. Yeah. I know we, we ended up getting COVID. Um, I had it too. Yeah. When, well, I'm glad you're well. And recover. I, I I I was sick for about three weeks actually. Oh, were you? Before I could get rid of that cough. Yeah, yeah. But mine seemed to be more nasal than it. I didn't have like the lung congestion or the aches or fevers or nothing like that. It was yeah. Just nasal lung, nasal and throat. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, Angeline. Well, thank you very much for the call. So we'll look forward to seeing your article. But but it's about the relationship. It was you know to have peace and friendship, trade, so we could have prosperity and and, and to have uh, and military alliance in times of war. That's what the relationship was. And and the crown promised to protect our land from trespass. Right. Yeah. No. Thank you so much, Chief Miracle, for taking this interview. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.